Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass special episode of Total Rewind with D-Man and CP. All right, man. Well, I'm really excited for this episode because it's a little bit different than usual. So uh, what we're planning on doing is introducing a new segment to Filmmaker's Compass called Total Rewind, which is where just you and I kind of have a discussion about movies a different movie every other week and i'm really excited for the movie on on this week's show but before we dive into that i did want to throw it over to you it's the holiday season uh how's it going it's pretty good man it's pretty good get all your shopping done oh dude i'm not even close i'll probably be shopping until the 24th how many christmas movies have you watched already um i've only watched like four or five i think I have seen The Nightmare Before Christmas, Elf, and The Santa Claus, but that's it so far. So three for me. Wow. Well, and then the movie we're going to talk about. Oh, I was hoping you were going to watch that one. Yeah, well, of course, uh, but I didn't want to say it. (laughs) I was trying to hold it for a reveal, which I guess we can just do now, which this week on Total Rewind, we're going to be talking about Home Alone. Home Alone is a uh, perennial Christmas classic, Macaulay Culkin, mania, really still to this day. He's making commercials about it. He still, you know, kind of does a tour and talks about his time on the two movies, Home Alone 1 and 2. Um, I wanted to start off the discussion on Home Alone by just kind of asking, where do you rank Home Alone amongst all the Christmas classics? I mean, I would rank it as... In my mind, like, number one or two. Like, it's one of your favorite Christmas movies. I think it's tough to beat, dude. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. Obviously, you know, through the years, you got, you know, the Christmas Vacations, Christmas Story. Obviously, I said Elf, Santa Claus, Home Alone. But, yeah, for me, I think Home Alone is the clear-cut number one. That's why, hey, for this holiday episode of Total Rewind, uh, I was all on board with Home Alone as our pick for our first, you know, movie. It's just so good. Well, I think that's an understatement. I mean, now as as kind of those of us who saw Home Alone as kids have grown up, right? Um, I think it's much more a part of Christmas tradition than it was in the 1990s. And it, I been... mean, it, to this day, it still airs, you know, on, I don't know, countless TV channels. It just got picked up by Disney Plus, which I'm pretty sure like everybody has. <laughs> Yeah, on the off chance you didn't see Home Alone in the last, you know, since it came out 30 years ago, catch it on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it's pretty much a tradition for most people to watch it. I would be shocked if there was someone our age that hasn't seen it, like just by chance, right? You go to Christmas parties and stuff, and like people just have it on. Yeah. You know, for flipping channels, it's like impossible not to land on like, oh, let me. Watch Home Alone. I heard that was good. <laughs> yeah, actually, if you've never seen Home Alone and you are uh, listening to this show, please tweet us because we would love to uh, start that conversation with you. I would just, yeah, I would like to know how someone's made it this long. I feel like if you've made it this long, you're deliberately avoiding it. Yeah, right. That's the only conclusion. That's the only logical conclusion I can come to. Um. Since this is, you know, a discussion about movies, I did want to talk a little bit about just yours and mine's thoughts 
about the actual movie. Because something that always, you know, sticks with me as a, you know, just a, a story arc is that the movie is really, like, well-rounded. It closes most of the plot threads that it kind of opens in the beginning. And they, they do such a good job of uh, kind of hitting home the, the point of family and making the holidays fun. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they really do. Like, when you think about, like, you know, the uh, South Bend Shovel Slayer, which, you know, shout out to uh, Indiana South Bend, because we're from there. So I knew that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, it, they introduce all these things about how, like, Kevin is inept. You know, he does you know, pack a suitcase. Like, he doesn't know how to do anything. By the end, they have him literally, you know... I think they even make fun of it at the end where he's like, he doesn't even know how to do this. And he's buying groceries, you know, like they wrap up that arc. Obviously he's home alone. His family returns, spoiler alert. And then there's the South Bend shovel slayer who you get his complete arc. The bandits get arrested, like everything that's put into motion, you know, it's a really well-rounded film. And for that reason alone, I think it's incredibly satisfying. Well, I think, um, I, I guess I really see two things. I think it, it fundamentally comes down to the writing of Home Alone. Um, John Hughes is a master screenwriter, and he does a great job of kind of weaving this ridiculous storyline of forgetting a kid on your flight to France, and he makes it plausible, right? He plants all the little pieces that are needed for us to buy into the fact that this could actually happen. And then, and too, that really is... You think back to the 90s, like, it sounds ludicrous now to think, like, you could live a kid, leave a kid at home and not be able to get in contact with them. But, like, you know, the way the, the power lines go down and that guy's like, you know, oh, the phone lines are a mess. It's going to take Modville a couple of days before they can yep. patch it up. Right? Like, they're, they're laying all these little uh, story nuggets just to get us to... Right, know, like, even the garage doors are open, so he thinks that the family disappeared, even though their cars are there, right? Like, they do a really good job. And I think you, you just hit on the last point, which is there's a little bit of like fantastical whimsy to it, right? He's a kid and thinks that his wish made his family disappear. That helps you buy into it, too. It's not like he's like, oh, you know, they went to France without me. Yeah. Um, and then beyond Hughes's screenwriting, Columbus comes in as a director and adds the element of, of kind of magic and, and heart that we've come to expect from his movies. And I think that, you know, a really well-crafted screenplay that's punched up in the right elements to bring the story to the emotional beats that you need to hit. I think that's, what's made it so lasting and so impactful. And I think, you know, the, the final ingredient really is just the memorable characters. You know, you have his brother, Buzz, who's, you know, kind of that, douche older brother uh you have his uncle frank who's like this real like pessimistic cheapskate you have obviously the wet bandits you i I mean and then of course there's kevin who's very memorable his mom who is on a mission you even have like the kenosha kickers and (laughs) uh you know john candy playing uh i can't remember his name gus polanski yeah the midwest i love when she's like what does she say she's like or he's like, he sold 
we sold 34 copies of that. And she's like, oh, in Chicago? He's like, no, Sheboygan. We're, uh, we're real big Very in Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, that's the last major thing is they really did combine all these memorable characters where, you know, everybody, that nobody in there is just like throwaway. Yeah. So the, you know, and then even they even the, the character Ben's of Shovel Slayer, even the character of Fuller, right? Who goes on? Who's uh, Kit McCulkey? Who goes on to be um, Roman in um, the HBO series Secession? Oh yeah. Right. It, he seems like a totally. You know, I mean, this is his first acting gig as a kid, and he's totally memorable as the kid who uh, wets his pants and and seems to uh, celebrate that fact. I love that line too. It's like, you know about him. He wets the bed. He'll pee all over me. <laughs> well, okay. If we're, you know, I, I've quoted a few lines by now. If I, if I throw it over to you, like, what is your favorite exchange in Home Alone? Because there, I mean, really, it's funny because even as, as an adult, that movie makes me laugh out loud. Well, are you talking about in, in terms of the comedy or in terms of of just the movie All Out? Ah, what's your favorite All Out? I think it's the sequence where Kevin finally meets the shovel slayer in the church. Okay, that's like favorite scene. Well, they that's the movie that has a lot of like they really punched up the heart. And the, and obviously the the main theme of the story is this con, you know, this idea about family, right? Right. Um but that's the second, you know, the underlying beat which is it's okay to be afraid. And I like that they have the conversation where um, Kevin even calls him out and he says, aren't you a little too old to be afraid? You're never too old to be afraid. Yeah, you can be too old for a lot of things, but you're never too old for, to be afraid. I always love he talks about, he's like, my grandma got me a sweater with a big bird did it on. He's like, oh, that's nice. He's like, not for a kid in the third grade. <laughs> had, a, had a friend who got a pair of dinosaur pajamas, got nailed. <laughs> I think my favorite scene, though, is when he's getting sent up to the attic because it's it's such a dramatization of like what it's like being a kid. Right. Nobody's listening to him. He doesn't feel seen. But I just love the exchange with his mom where he's like, you know, I'm sorry. And she's like, OK, get upstairs. And he's like, you know. I don't want any family. Families stink. And she's like, well, then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. And he says something along the lines of like, I hope I I don't want to see you again for the rest of my life. Yeah. She's like, you know, you'll wake up tomorrow and feel pretty bad if you don't have a family. And he's like, I hope I never see any jerks again. It just sounds like such a little kid exchange, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he goes upstairs and he's like, I hope they all just disappear. And I don't know, it's a great kickoff because on one hand, he's being like a little jerk, but on the other hand, you're kind of like, I get it. Like, this is a house full of family and kids and you've totally been overlooked. And he, I mean, they hit the point home uh, overlooking him because they literally forget him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but then as far as funny lines go, I think the wet bandits steal it for me. The, the two lines that are my favorite are later, uh, Harry's telling Marv, he's like, you know, we'll go grab a bite to eat and come back around nine o'clock. And he's like, yeah, nine o'clock. Kids are scared of the dark. And he's like, you're afraid of the dark too, Marv. And he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> he's like, yeah, you are. And he's like, not, not, not. And they like run off. They're like yeah. little kids themselves. 
And then I love when after the whole like spider sequence, they run upstairs and they look out the window <laughs> and he's like, maybe he committed suicide. <laughs> and you're like, who wrote that? I, I feel like that had to be improvised. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Obviously speaking of improvisation, uh, improvisation, I mean, almost everything John Candy did in that movie is apparently improvised. You know, fun fact about his role in that movie. I didn't know this, but, Apparently, he did that role as a favor to John Hughes, so he only got paid like $400. <laughs> well, they got their money's worth. Yeah, right? He came in. I guess he was there for like 24 hours or something, maybe like two days. Like he, he did like 12-hour days or something. like. And he made 400 bucks, and they basically did all his scenes at once, which I was like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. But, uh, yeah, I, the reason I know that is because the fun fact was that the guy who plays the pizza guy, the pizza kid, um, he got paid $500. So he made more than John Candy. <laughs> well, that's his claim to fame, I bet. He made more money in a movie than John Candy did. Well, you know, cheese pizza, you got to get it. But... Anyway, I, I did also want to touch, you know, obviously I think you and I could just quote lines and reminisce about Home Alone for, you know, an entire evening if we wanted. But I also wanted to ask you, why do you think Home Alone is so beloved, you know, all these years later, right? It, it's weird because a lot of movies kind of come and go or they're popular in their time. But like you said, Home Alone's been around for 30 years now, so... What, what do you think it is about that? I know we touched earlier on heart. I mean, I think, in my opinion, I think that's a lot of it. I think, I think it comes down to two things. And the first thing, I'm going to look towards Columbus as the director. Um, he said that he set out trying to, you know, with the intention of making a timeless Christmas movie. And there's a lot of elements in that which you can see where, you know, he intentionally crafted moments in the film to add that timeless quality you know like like uh you know the one of the last scenes in the movie when kevin looks out the window and the snow's falling and it's where the shovel slayer finally uh, makes up with his son right right or or that early scene when he um first runs out the door after the family's gone and it's just him and it's all white like he really captured quintessential, you know, quintessential Christmas moments in the movie. You know, he goes to see Santa, you know, they run, he right. runs across the ice rink, like all these things that we kind of in, in many ways take for granted is just part of the holiday season. He was very conscious of, and they're focal points of the film. That's a good point. I mean, even to the point that, I mean, I know you've, you've heard this too about the art direction. They were very in, intentional in making sure that everything in the house is shades of green and red. And that's just so that the whole place looks like this kind of Christmas card-esque fantasy. Yeah, um, and like I, I heard as well to your timeless quality, they also deliberately like omitted a lot of different technology in the original um, to the point where like, the TV would only show like uh, black and white movies with the exception of the Grinch, which is an older movie yeah. But with the Good idea point. of uh, trying to not make it feel like it's taking place in the nineties. Right. They wanted to make it feel like in the nineties, it's taking place kind of anytime in the last 
few decades. Yeah. Um, and they, I don't know, they, they do things, you know, like the, uh, angels with filthy souls is like this old kind of black and white movie. Uh, another like classic thing from home alone. I mean, everything they do is just so well done. Yeah. And they were just conscious of it the entire time. And I think it's funny because I know I texted you this earlier. Uh, the original review of the film in the Chicago Tribune, they um, they essentially accuse Christopher Columbus of trying too hard to to make a timeless Christmas classic. And they say he falls short, which in hindsight, we know that's now not the case 30 years later because it is a timeless Christmas movie. Um, I think... I think the other thing, though, aside from the intentional, you know, focus on on the timelessness of Christmas is he makes a movie that speaks to the child within all of us. Right. Oh, that's a really good point. We've all grown up feeling like our family doesn't see us. We've all grown up feeling invisible. We've all grown up at, at times in our life where we felt powerless. And we've also grown up at times where we felt afraid. And Kevin is a character speaking to the child within all of us who is going through all these emotions that we can relate to. And he does it in a way where, you know, I think the kid within us is all kind of envious that he gets to, you know, defend his house and square off against the wet bandits. And, um, you know, as a kid, he, he is victorious over the adults. And as a kid, he survives right. without his parents. Um, and I think that's kind of, that that speaks to all of us deep down because um we like to you know we still feel like kids sometimes and when we were kids we always wanted those moments of triumph that he is able to achieve now let me ask you a little bit about the controversial kind of plot elements which got you know some negative reception which to fans of the movie uh they love it but i mean from critics that was kind of the uh defending the house sequence where a lot of people felt that, you know, the wet bandits essentially got their asses kicked and they found it to be rather kind of like unbelievable. And this is, you know, totally played up to a higher degree in Home Alone 2. But even in one, you know, like taking uh, paint cans to the face or like falling from a second story window after, you know, the ropes cut set on fire and like there mm -hmm. were things about it that people criticize did you see that even as a kid or did i mean did it have the intended effect of almost feeling more like looney tunes right well i think as a kid i mean as a kid that was always my favorite part of the movie i felt i don't know about you my favorite part as a kid was always when he was squaring off against the bandits and it felt like cartoons because that's what we saw on television um as an adult that's my least favorite part of the movie i like all the other sentimental you know holiday-esque um story points in in you know throughout the rest of the movie but i think as a kid i don't think we see it as violence as it actually is i know that they did a study of, i don't know 20 years ago about um television right and and violence on tv and they did talk about the fact how the most violent thing that kids could possibly watch on television was cartoons um huh, so as kids, I don't think we saw it for the violence that the adults at the time and the critics at the time and the adults that we are now see it. I think we just see it as sort of comedic violence because it is done in a comedic fashion. And Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. That never bothered me. Like, I never thought to myself, I was like, oh, this is grotesque or, like, how terrible. But, I mean, I guess I could see where, you know, obviously, if you're not leaning into and just having fun with it, you're like, this is so over the top. Like, Well, and I think it also yeah, helps I guess. Marv and Harry are bad guys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they are breaking into Kevin's house and trying to rob it, and they know he's there. And I mean, they're bad dudes. They're funny, but they're they're bad guys. So I think that in some ways that kind of uh, gives you a little bit more of an excuse in the sense that I guess it's more of a justifiable use of force. Yeah, and, and again, like, they never actually, like, things happen, right? Like, his head gets set on fire or, like, this and that, and they look beat like bruised and beat up but they're never like seriously injured you know no you're right you're right i mean um they're never as severely injured maybe marv got like tetanus or something (laughs) (laughs) because they really do like once you start going through all the things like you know uh one of them like steps on a nail they get an iron to the face they both fall down the same sets of stairs like two or three times you know you got a blowtorch to the head paint cans to the face i mean they really get their asses kicked no and sadly dude i think the worst one actually for me is when he steps on those christmas ornaments oh yeah that's the worst yeah and he likes oh my gosh well that just seems painful what is interesting too is uh i pulled up on here some trivia about the film uh-huh. And one of the interesting things when we're talking about the pranks is, did you know that they actually, uh, Daniel Stern let them put a spider on his face for no, that sequence? I mean, I guess it would have made sense. I don't know how they would have done it in the night, you know, in 1991 or whatever, 1990. Yeah, I think they um, recorded the scream in post. Obviously, they didn't want to like scare the spider. But he actually agreed. It says he actually agreed to let them put the spider on his face for one take, and that's what they got. <laughs> wow, that's pretty that's awesome. Commitment. Especially because, yeah. like, I wonder if his agent, you know, if they had to have like a behind-the-scenes negotiation. Because I, I mean, I have no idea at what point that was added to the script. I mean, the spider's there throughout, so I'm assuming there's going to be a payoff somewhere but i mean did they know early on that it was going to be on someone's face yeah yeah that's pretty crazy well if you want i mean because i just got some trivia here we can run through some facts yeah, let's do it let's check it out um one of the things that was always funny I, did you know that uh, they originally had robert de niro in mind for joe pesci's part and he declined and uh just kind of gave Joe Pesci out as a reference. I guess they'd already thought about him. Obviously, those two are connected, so it wasn't like he wasn't on their radar, yeah. but I guess he kind of, like, passed it along. I didn't know that. I did always wonder what, you know, Joe Pesci was doing in a kid's movie. Well, and what's funny is, I guess, like, he actually had trouble saying his lines because he was so used to cursing that he kept saying the F word uh and when you hear him in the movie go like fridge, 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 you know, like kind of mumbling, I guess that was his way of avoiding cursing because he just couldn't do it. Because everything else he did, he did with Scorsese and just swore all the time. 
Yeah, like, I don't know. That was just, like, his personality, which, again, it's kind of funny because it's, like, you're an actor. But at the same time, like, I, if he had trouble with it, so he kind of, like, added that. And it, I guess that's what he's doing. He's saying the word fridge. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah, I did not know that. Okay, um, that's cool. Something else that's really interesting, and I don't know if it's so much trivia as m- more, like, just kind of, like, a production note. But almost everything was filmed in Chicago. I guess John Hughes, well, I a know lot that. of his movies are yeah, set Yeah, he does in a lot in Chicago. But he, uh, they, so you can actually, like, go, there's, like, a, you know, obviously now you just probably go to Google Maps, and there's, like, a tour, and you can go around and see all the different locations. But apparently the house, they could not film in the house, so they actually built the entire interior of the home inside a, a high school gymnasium in that Chicago suburb. Which is crazy. And then they home-based out of the high school. And now if I'm right, I, I think I read that that's the same high school that he filmed The Breakfast Club in. It I don't see that, but I mean, you're probably right. That would make sense. So, uh, more trivia. The ornaments, which Marv steps on, apparently those were candy and not glass. But okay. I don't see how that would help at all. <laughs> yeah right well i like i the, thought i heard i thought i read that he had um like rubber rubber feet over his actual feet when he did all the barefoot stunts yeah it does say that here you're right gotcha. so um another fun fact is that macaulay culkin is the person who drew the map that his character uses to set all the traps you mean the, it, the one that's signed by kevin McAllister? yeah <laughs> That's cool. Oh, man. Let's see here. We got a couple different ones. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Okay. John Candy filmed his part for only one day. 23-hour day. That's what Wow. I had heard that before, so that was something that always stuck with me because I was like, man, I had no idea. You would think, you know, at that time he was like a big star that, I mean, for his cameo, he would get paid a lot of money, but not really. But he had done a couple films with John Hughes by that point, right? I think they did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and Uncle Buck, at least. Yeah. Those two? Yeah. No, you're right. And then it says, Macaulay Culkin's stunt double was a very short 30-year-old man. So, <laughs> about our age. That's cool. So, yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, it says, the last scene filmed was the one in which Kevin is running through the water-filled basement, and it was used in the high school's swimming pool. Or used, filmed in the high school's swimming pool. Oh, okay. So, and then the first scene is the scene where he's at the shop buying a toothbrush. And we don't know if that toothbrush was approved by the American Dental Association. <laughs> we never found out. You know, it's... I don't know if it matters, but whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, dude, there's just like pages and pages of trivia here. But um, the final thing I wanted to touch on, and we haven't talked about it yet, but it has to be mentioned, is John Williams' score. Oh my gosh. I think that ends to the timeless fantasy quality of the movie, just because. If they had done what I feel like so many other Christmas movies do, which is just borrow, you know, uh, and and create a Christmas soundtrack, which, you know, they borrow Christmas music for it. Um, It's not the same as as the Home Alone theme. Dude, it's just so perfect. Yeah, like I would 
want to hear that live. I don't know if you ever have. I know, like, I've been to, like, Star Wars in concert, and they do those John Williams tours. But, I mean, I would love to hear that performed. It's just, you know, what is it called? Somewhere in My Memory? Mm-hmm. And then Home Alone main theme. But it's just so good. Even, like, the Wet Bandits theme. Kevin, yeah. you know, everything, everything works so well. And, I mean, it, uh, it's crazy because... At that point, John Williams, you know, if you if you go Home Alone and later, still has yet to make some of his most iconic scores, right? At that point, he's already, like, super well-known for Jaws and Star Wars and E.T. and Indiana Jones. Then he makes, like, Home Alone, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and, uh, Duel of the Fates and, like, more Star Wars and all this stuff. I'm like, gosh, the guy was only just getting started. I know, dude. It's crazy. He's truly amazing. Like his stuff is just so good. It's always cool when you see somebody that is just like on another level. Like everything they touch is just gold. Yeah, like you're you're just like, man, this guy is so good. Like other people can try to be him, but like, I mean, <laughs> how are you going to top John Williams? Well, and I think the fact that they were able to score John Williams to score the movie um I'm sure that that really notched it up and just cemented it into what it is. Because if you take out the music, I mean, it's still a funny movie. There's still a great, great cut. Um, it's entertaining, but I don't know if it has the the lasting quality and the enduring quality that we love. Yeah, you know, it's weird because some, some movies have like iconic themes, but I don't know that that theme... You know, we associate it now with the movie, right? Like you think like Raiders of the Lost Ark and different things. But, you know, a movie like Home Alone or Star Wars, if you were to take those out and put something else in, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if it works. Yeah, right. At least as well. Um, where other movies, it's like, sure, obviously that's the best choice. But, I mean, the movie still works pretty good if you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Home Alone's totally one of those. Hey! Uh, while we're, we're still going, Chris Farley auditioned for the role of Santa Claus and didn't get it. <laughs> That's kind of funny. So that, that is funny. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, there's just so much trivia here. It'd be fun to go through all of it, but, uh, well, those were some of my favorites. And I think, I think a lot of the movie hinges on Macaulay Coken as an, as an actor um, I mean, it's really amazing. I was watching it just the other day, knowing we were going to talk about it. And he has great screen presence as a kid. He has great line delivery as a kid. And it's kind of amazing that essentially they made a movie with the intention of putting a kid in the starring role. And he carries the movie really well. Yeah, he has so much charisma uh, he actually is really funny, and he has a charm to him, which wasn't lost on on everybody. I think he he did uh, was an Uncle Buck, yeah. And everybody, like you said, everybody loved him. They kind of already had him in mind for the role and all that. But you know, when you think back to the '90s, I mean, we were alive when this movie came out. Do you remember like the Macaulay Culkin mania? Yeah, kind of. For that time, I mean, he did, like, all the late-night talk shows. Obviously, they got Home Alone 2 out, like, ASAP, before he went through puberty. 
<laughs> but, uh, and then, I mean, it's weird because he's done other movies, uh, generally a little bit more, uh, like indie or, or different stuff through the years. But I mean, it's just funny because even to this day, like last year he did a home alone Christmas commercial for like, Oh, for uh, Google home, Google home or something, you know, like it's just, it's a, it's a defining role. And I feel like it's weird because I, I, I haven't ever heard his thoughts directly from him, but it seemed like he may have resented some of it for a while. Some of the like, you know, crazy fame and the fact that like when you do a holiday movie, it just comes back every year. Right. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, it's the 20th anniversary. It's like, nope, it's Christmas again. And we all love Macaulay Culkin. And yeah. I feel like I, I know he does a podcast now and he's done some different stuff. I'll have to check that out because, hey, I love podcasts. But it just seems like he's leaned into it a little bit more now and is kind of like just embracing it. It's like, you know, it's pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. Which, But, I, I mean, play. did you ever see the third one? And I think there's now like five that they've made. Is that um, the one with like Alex Linz or – I don't yeah. know the actor's name. The point is, I saw it one time, I think when I was a kid, and I was like, this movie is just terrible. And I think part of it is the fact that, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why it's bad, but I think part of it is that Macaulay Culkin, as a kid, really is the epitome of that role. And he, and he carries it well. And you're watching other kids and they just don't hold up in the same way. And that that's why, like, I, I think you had mentioned earlier, or maybe not even on the show, but you had mentioned to me that, like, Disney Plus wants to, like, do a remake. Yeah, I just saw on Twitter that they announced that they're doing a remake, and they cast the um, the lead in Jojo Rabbit to play the new kid in Home Alone. And he's a really talented actor. I mean, Jojo Rabbit was a great movie. I enjoyed it. But I'm just... I don't, I don't know why we need to be remaking and rebooting Home Alone. I think it's pretty much perfect the way it is. Well, and in a strange way, you know, uh, part of the enduring charm of that film is, is the Archie family Yates. and the characters. That's the kid from uh, oh, okay. Jojo Rabbit. Gotcha. But, like, the, the characters and stuff from this movie. Now, I don't know if they're going to do a remake, you know, in the sense of like, they're actually going to recast the McAllister family, or if it's going to be a different family at Christmas time with like, you know, different robbers, or if it'll be the wet bandits. But I mean, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it needs to be done. Will you watch it? I'm sure I'll watch it, but I mean, they've made five home alone movies. One of them is great, one of them is good, and the other three are pretty much abysmal. Um, wow, they've made five? Yeah, I was looking that up. Apparently the last one came out in, like, 2012. That's unreal. And, and I'm just like, okay, you, 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 you know, you don't always strike lightning twice, you know. Or yeah, I mean, the... it's weird because you can't capture lightning in a bottle or... That's it. <laughs> I don't know something. Uh, it's funny because like Home Alone two, essentially, if you like, it has almost like identical plot points. They it, just it, move identical the beats. They even the, the they take the same jokes and rework them. Like the you know kids are scared of the park instead of kids are scared of the dark. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like it, it's the same stuff. 
you know, there's the, the, the person who frightens Kevin that he ends up befriending and, and sharing his child, you know, through his, his childhood lenses of the world, he's a- able to, you know, change the hearts of these older hardened adults, right? Like right. it's the same stuff throughout the entire movie. And I think part of the reason why people tolerate and like Home Alone 2 is because it it kind of gives you exactly uh, what you want, which is more of Home Alone 1. Well, and that, I think that's why Home Alone 2, even to this day, like it it almost feels like just a natural ex- – like if you really liked hanging out with these characters, like it's hard not to like the second one. Yeah. Because obviously they go to New York and like that's fun for a change of setting. But I mean they're just funny to be around, right? The wet bandits, uh, the family when they're stuck in Florida. You know, they drive up to that motel and he's yeah. like, Didn't, I don't remember it being like this on our honeymoon. You know, like they're just funny. No, you're right. You're totally right. So, well, that, I mean, kind of wraps up our discussion on Home Alone. Obviously, uh, we would love to hear what every, you know, what all of our listeners' thoughts are on the movie. If you have any favorite lines, if you actually hate it, if you've never seen it. Ooh, if you hate it, let us know why. And if you've never seen it, let us know why, too. Right? Like, do you know anybody, do you, honestly, do you know anybody that, like, hates Home Alone? No. But I guarantee you we will find one out there in the Twitterverse. Yeah, right. Well, we'll throw it out there. But it's weird because, I, I don't know, most people, uh, maybe there's like a whole contingent of people that just need to be brought together. Well, I thought it was really weird because when I was looking at, you, you know, it only has like a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, you know, it wasn't loved by the critics. But are you talking about audience rating? No, I guess that's probably the critics one. I don't know what the audience rating is. Yeah, I know it wasn't loved by the critics, but it's crazy because like Home Alone's run uh, top the box office when it released was like insane. Like it was number one, like into the spring, almost summer, because I believe it finished for, you know, and it held this record for a long time. It was like the highest gross grossing live action comedy ever. Yeah. So and I think I want to say that change with like Deadpool or something. Okay, so the audience score is 80, which still I think is kind of low for yeah, especially what I think when, is an amazing movie. Yeah, you consider you know, what other movies probably have higher rating. Like Home Alone's way better than that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. But All right, that wraps up our discussion. So I hope, uh, obviously we both had a chance to watch Home Alone, but I hope you enjoyed discussing. I know you and I both love discussing movies um every time we get together we pretty much get sidetracked talking about something we've seen yeah so, so you can find me at andy cal five you can find me at big kid d man and you can just you know reach out to the show at film comp podcast and let us know your thoughts let us know what you thought about this episode let us know what you think about home home alone and let us know what you think about Dustin's obsession with Christmas. I do love Christmas. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you all next time. Have a good night. Day. Morning. Morning. <laughs>